Amen and amen. Welcome to Cabin Divorce this evening. My name is David and my co-host is Lucy Murungi. Tonight we are joined by the one and only Mr. Chris Stout as uh, he shares with us this very, very difficult topic on the scarlet later. And I pray that uh, you two will be blessed uh, tonight. Some of you must be asking, why the scarlet later? Why? Where does that come from? That's an old novel uh, written uh, and uh, it, it just depicts this same uh, topic that we are going to be um, talking about today. It's, uh, it's an American author. His name is Nathaniel Fawthorne. Uh, and I think that, uh, not that he has biblical help in this particular novel of his, but I think it kind of uh, reflects one, the um, ancient understanding of adultery where they really, really harassed the woman. And I don't know if you remember the story of uh, the adulterous woman uh, that Christ rescued from death, literally uh, from stoning. But it was the same thing. And everyone kept asking, where is the man? Where is the man? But let me just read this uh, brief uh, preview for you uh, of this uh, uh, book and title so you can understand where we're coming from. It is set in uh, Puritan Boston in Massachusetts where a crowd gathers to witness the punishment and her name was Hester Prynne in this particular uh, book. She was a young man who had given birth to a baby of uh, an unknown uh, parentage. Uh, She was required to wear a scarlet A, a red A on, uh, on her dress at all times, including when she was around the townspeople to shame her. The letter A stands for adulteress, although this is never explicitly uh, stated in the novel. Her sentence required her to stand on, sco- on the scaffold for three hours exposed to public humiliation and to wear the scarlet letter A for the rest of her life. As uh, Hester approaches the scaffold, many of the women in the crowd are angered by her beauty and quiet dignity. When demanded and uh, cajoled to name the father of her child, Hester refuses. And uh, as Hester looks out over the crowd, she notices a small, mishappened man and recognizes him as her lost husband, who has been presumed lost at sea. When the husband sees Hester's shame, he asks a man in the crowd about her and he told the story of his wife's adultery. He's angry, he angrily explains uh, the child's uh, father and uh, the partner in the adulterous act and says this should all he too should also be punished and vows to find the man. He chooses another name, Roger Chillingworth, uh, to hate him uh, in his plan. And the rest of the book unfolds uh, with this guy trying to find the father of this uh, child while the woman refuses to name who the father is, but she's forced to wear this uh, particular letter, the scarlet. Uh, letter and uh, it's only named A though we don't know whether it stands for adultery or not we just know that that most likely is what it stands for and if you're here and maybe you have been wearing that letter in shame we're not this is not the program where you're going to be condemned okay this is not a condemnation program I think this is an opportunity for us to see what the scriptures teach concerning this very difficult extremely difficult I believe uh, topic uh, tonight and I pray that we'll find answers tonight I pray that uh, each one of us will be encouraged but also will be warned to understand the seriousness with which God looks at sin but I believe this has major consequences because affects not only one person 
not only to but family it affects community it affects the church in a very very uh, difficult way um, and i believe that uh, these answers to scripture i believe that christ when he died on the cross this was one of those things uh, he found victory over but ladies and gentlemen allow me to welcome lucy lucy why don't you say hi to our fellow listeners uh, this evening you've been um, You've been available the whole week, and I want to say thank you so much, Lucy, for being available the whole week. I can imagine. Did <laughs> I tell much people how much you're paying me? <laughs> no, don't say, don't say, don't say, don't say. Okay, but Lucy, okay. welcome. Okay, I'll leave that out. Thank you, thank you, and it's a, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to serve you all, and yeah, I'm excited by how many people are here. I have a very special friend who is listening in today, so I'm extra excited. I'm extra excited today, but you're all very welcome. Welcome, Edward, JV, Holy Boy, John, Hi, Joachim, Eleanor, Samuel, Harold, Agri, Grace, Uncle Steve, Habo, Agro, Agroma Fossi. Hey, great, dude, that's a cool name. Guys, you're all very welcome, and I'm, I trust the Lord is going to bless us mightily. Uh, through his word and we welcome mr stout as well it's an honor it's an honor to have you here thank you for joining awesome thank you awesome. all right thank you guys thank you thank you i mean i do not want to let go of our tradition of uh, cheering for the first person to log in <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in as much as it's painful to press this button, it was Lucy this evening. She's paid to do this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Lucy, that chair is for you. That chair is for you. Thank you so much for the show. Thank uh, you, David. I'm still sending an invoice. <laughs> But great to have you, great to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for, again, uh, being a part of this. I want to encourage you to ask questions. And uh, during the show, when Mr. Stouts is speaking, I think he prefers Chris. When Chris is talking, please go ahead and uh, post questions. We may not get to the bottom of each of those questions, but tonight we are going to be highly, highly dependent on your questions uh, concerning this particular a topic and I believe some of the questions are kind of very obvious okay uh, if it has happened to me how do I deal with it and then how do I avoid it um, how do I advise a friend and uh, how do we deal with all of these things those are questions that I believe Chris has prepared for but I know there are questions that may not be covered uh, during this time and I'm not going to waste any further time what we are going to do is make this 70% Q&A 70% Q&A we're going to have very few special songs. In fact, that song I just played for you might be the only song we may be listening to uh, in between the show. And I'd like to just go straight onto uh, the mid because I believe we need a lot of time uh, to cover this. And uh, let me encourage you, if your friend is not invited, please go ahead and let them know. Post this on all the WhatsApp groups that you guys are on and uh, ask them to come and hear this. Ask them to come and hear this because I do not know when our make is available, the recording available. But please go ahead and share the show. If you're wondering how do I share with my friends, just click that square on your screen that has an arrow pointing up outward. 
that right there is the button for sharing and uh, post that on the whatsapp post that on facebook and invite your friends uh, to be a part of this but before we can get into the q a before we can get into the interview uh for this evening and we're going to be doing this with lucy let me ask one more time lucy to pray and then uh we'll get started with our show and the interview lucy why don't you go ahead and pray with us all right let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much for the privilege that you give us to come together in fellowship to learn more about you and what you um what in your love you have drawn us to um to show us the way to live our lives in a manner that honors you and glorifies you we pray lord that tonight the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you we pray for mr stout that um he will honor you in all that he says and that your words will be um made clear to the hearts of everyone we pray that you make our hearts fertile ground to receive your word today be glorified in every way in jesus name we pray amen you're precious you're not left out you're wanted you're irreplaceable with your shine and soul love has spoken you are chosen each one of us this evening is a child of god and matter what is happening in our lives we believe that we are we are chosen we are loved mr stout you're welcome this evening welcome to uganda welcome to kenya i can see roy here representing the kenyans i don't know how many of us are from different countries i think kate is here also tuning in straight from florida if your country has not been mentioned please go ahead and mention it in the chat but chris you're welcome to the show how have you been thank you david thank you i'm, I'm doing very well thank you it's an honor to be with with you all again i love it awesome i want to just get straight onto our topic today and ask um maybe just to give us a brief uh um snapshot of uh how old you are in christianity but also how much you've experienced uh the christian faith in in having to battle with uh with sin <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the reason the reason i say that is when i was thinking about this topic i thought to myself you know what i i don't think i'm qualified because i've not seen enough of life now i'm not saying you're old in terms of two no one wants to be known as old but thank you thank you <laughs> I can think you look way, I appreciate way younger. That. <laughs> you are much younger than I am, David, but you can go ahead and say it. I, I'm, I'm not old yet, but I'm getting there. You're getting there. But, but, I mean, how many couples have you talked to over the years specifically concerning this topic? And the second question to that is, what's the number one cause, according to you, when it comes to adultery? Oh, wow. I mean, we're dealing with some big questions tonight, aren't we? And to answer your first question, um, I am 46 years old, and my wife and I have been married for, it'll be in, let's see, in, in about two weeks, we will have been married 25 years. And so we got married young. Uh, my, I was 25, excuse me, I was 21. My wife was 19 years old when we got married. And, um, you know, you ask, how long have I been battling with sin? Well, since, the, since I was born, and 
you know, I came to faith in Christ when I was uh, six years old. And so I can guarantee you that the, you know, that the devil is alive and active. And I can think of some key turning points in my life where um, I could really sense that, you know, it was a crossroads and I had to make a decision. And by the grace of God, um, I'm able to still be with you here today. And I'm thankful for that. Um, but, but the devil is active and he wants the enemy and, and the Bible talks about the world and the flesh and the devil, you know, and the world is that thing outside of us. That's always putting that pressure on us. And the devil is that, that one beneath us that's, that's pushing up at us or all around us as well. And then, but the flesh is what's inside of us and and that flesh is there, um, it, alive as well. All three of those things are alive and, and coming after us. And we have to be vigilant. We have to be so aware because there is there are few other things, maybe no other thing in our life that is more um, subtle, that is more pervasive, that is more insidious, um, that will just destroy us than sexual temptation. I mean, there, uh, it, it is so sad to think how quickly, um, how quickly our entire life could just be blown up, uh, because of things like what you're talking about tonight, adultery. Um, but, uh, how many couples have I talked to? It, it would be, I was trying to, you meant asked that question. I was trying to think, you know, quickly through my mind. I mean, I just know I'm not a professional counselor or anything like that. I can just tell you at least anecdotally that very quickly to my mind came at least a half a dozen couples mm-hmm. that in recent years that I've interacted with that have been, um, not necessarily whether they're in our ministry or they're in ministry or um, connected to ministry, full-time vocational ministry that um, have walked through this valley. And then many, many, many more. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight, you know, uh, that have, have been right on the, maybe right on the precipice um, or that also have, um, have been unfaithful, you know, adultery isn't just being unfaithful in a physical way. And that's what I've, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. You know, there's, there's a lot of other ways to be unfaithful to my spouse, um, along with, uh, physically engaging with someone who is, who is not my spouse. And, um, probably most of us, if not all of us in some way, shape or form have been guilty in some way of that. Um, what is the number one reason? Oh goodness. I mean, I think that the clip that you shared at the very beginning of this, of this podcast was spot on. Um, the number one reason is because we don't know God. And, and even if we, we could have a PhD in theology, uh, we could say we could be a believer like myself from the time I was six years old. Um, but if I do not intimately, if I'm not intimately walking with God and knowing him in this moment, knowing him in this moment, then, um, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. 
And I also think in with like the, the, the men and the women that I've interacted with that have gone through this valley, this very deep and dark valley of unfaithfulness. Um, I, I believe in many cases it started where, um, you see, adultery, I would say this, adultery doesn't start with the act itself. Remember that. Mm. Adultery doesn't start, adultery doesn't just happen in the moment. Um, it starts way before. It, it doesn't start the moment that you're having a sexual relationship with someone who's not your spouse. It, happen, it starts way before. And it, it, it starts, first of all, by not knowing God, by not seeking Christ. We're going to talk about that. But then it starts with a glance it starts with a lingering thought. It starts with a small justification. And, and that's, where it, that's where it actually starts. That, that word justification, I think, is one of the big ones that um, somehow in our hearts and our minds, we start to justify the little things that we're doing that are, that are leading us astray, away from our spouse into the heart of another. And, and whether, well, my spouse doesn't, isn't taking care of me sexually or my spouse isn't providing for me emotionally or my spouse is, is mean or whatever it might be. And, or, or, you know, I deserve this. I I'm under so much stress and I've cared so much for my family and, and these little justifications um, creep up in our heart and mind. And, and I think that's, that's where a lot of it begins. A lot of it begins. So I don't know if that answers your questions that you were asking at first, but that's, my my feeble attempt at this point. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Chris. It's it's amazing how sometimes we think we know God, and yet, um, like when you said, "Do I know God at this particular moment? At this particular moment?" Talking about my relationship with God, and I think one of the first um, things that happen in our mind before we get in trouble with sin is to think it can never happen to me. After all. I have known God all my life. After all, I have this PhD, and I think our relationship with God, and I think this ties into the session you covered with us in the past when it came to a connection um, with the Lord. Uh, when, you are, when, you, when you're talking about the passage in, in, in John uh, where he says, we are the, I mean, he is the vine and we are the branches, and without mm -hmm. me you can do nothing. I think that connection is lost right there. Uh, leading to sin and death eventually when we fall away from a fellowship with, with God. I'm going to ask a second question. I'll, I'll ask Lucy to ask you the third question. I don't think I have. I know what she's going to ask <laughs> uh -oh. you. Yeah, I know what she's going to ask you. I don't even know uh, how she's going to do it, uh, but it's a very difficult one. But let me ask question number two here before Lucy can ask. And I would like to ask if uh, maybe Chip can call in this is not planned but chip nightingale if you can call in and maybe give your thought to this question as well i just want to hear you maybe for mm -hmm. two minutes if you can but the question is there are so many sins that have been uh, compromised on in the past and when i say compromised on in the past means culture um has declared them not sin anymore i mean when you think about marriage right now uh, in the u.s yeah. it has been redefined completely when it comes to childbirth um, and, uh, and just abortion, all of that has been redefined right now. But it doesn't matter how old generations are, the humanity is, 
it's very difficult right now. Even the world does not <laughs> does not compromise when it comes to marital unfaithfulness. The scripture may allow you um, to maybe grow uh, as you stop lying and grow slowly as you, as you get rid of a certain, I don't, I don't want to call them respectable sins, but when it comes to um, adultery, there is a very, very strong uh, sense in which the scripture approaches this particular sin as if to say oh, it's yeah. greater than all of them. Um, but I don't know why. Now, maybe to try and get to maybe an understanding of this is you come to uh, Paul in writing Ephesians. He, he likens marriage almost to Christ dying on the cross in saying this is a picture of Christ dying on the cross. And, and, and to, to, to put that on that is literally to like spit in the face of God and everything he ever did for humanity. So there is a glance. Mm. But what are your thoughts when it comes to why, why, why is it held with so much uh, intensity, if I can put it that way, that even the world thinks, yeah. no, you're crazy when you're unfaithful and they will fire you. They will fire you. doesn't yeah. matter where you work. Well, it's, it's, it be, I, I believe it's because it's a promise. It's because you're breaking a promise. And the world today, in spite of everything else, you know, you, you've mentioned all the other things that don't seem to matter anymore today. But I think that people innately know a promise is meant to be kept. And if you make me a promise, I'm expecting you to keep it. And so adultery is the breaking of a promise. And that is naturally revolting to us. Um, and, and I think it's adultery is spoken of in the Bible with such strong in such strong terms, um, because it is a picture of what we do to God over and over and over and over again. In fact, I mean, how many times in the Old Testament does God refer to Israel as an adulterous nation because they've gone after other gods? They've gone after, and that is some of the strongest speech. And and, and I would just remind you, I love here in Proverbs, you know, I don't love it. It's, it's just, it's just powerful. You know, when I think of adultery, I think of Proverbs chapter two, um, where he's talking about wisdom, and he says, Proverbs chapter two, verse verse ten: For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be present to your soul. Discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And then in verse 16, it says this, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again. Listen, none who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. I mean, you want to talk about powerful, powerful words. And in the midst of that, it's talking about abandoning a covenant, breaking a promise. And I think that the world knows that promises, when we make a promise, we keep a promise. And, um, and that's truly what it is. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Lucy, what's up? 
Okay, well, mine is uh, can, first, can you hear me clearly? Yes, I yes, can. Lucy. Okay. Okay, so Mr. Stout, oftentimes here in Uganda, there's young ladies at uh, bridal showers uh, warned seriously to diligently meet their husband's needs or else another woman will, as in it doesn't mm. matter which bridal shower you go to, you will hear it said over and over again. Whether they're Christian or non-Christian, they always say that. And they're unashamedly equipped with all sorts of tips and tricks that are believed to keep the fire alive. So mm. the question is, is the purity of a mar marriage bed completely hinged on how well and how often spouses serve each other? Absolutely not, I would say, because marriage is ultimately a promise. Marriage is a covenant. And in that promise, in that covenant, it's not conditional. It's, it's an unconditional covenant. When I enter that marriage covenant, uh, it is till death do us part. It is for better and for worse. worse. Um, it's in sickness and in health. Um, if, if that were the case, then, then what, of, what of a woman who gets terminally ill or is sick and is not able to provide even, it would not even be physically able to provide for her husband um, in a sexual way? Uh, can the man, is the man permitted then to go find that elsewhere? Of course not. Absolutely not. Um, and now, obviously, in a healthy marriage relationship, a healthy marriage relationship is going to have a healthy sexual relationship. And can that help curb temptation? And th yes, it can. But at the end of the day, I am responsible for the lusts that rise up within me. And where does sin come from? Sin does not come from the fact that my wife hasn't provided for me. Uh, when I look in James, I'll just read this in James chapter 1. Uh, you've heard this before. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now, you could say that. Let no one be tempt, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by my wife because she hasn't provided for me. or because. But what happens in verse 14? It says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Um, I believe there is no place in there. There is no, ex no even the smallest room for an excuse for a man to blame anyone but himself for his lack of faithfulness. So um, though that might be true that a man is more likely to wander, it doesn't mean that it is an excuse for him to wander, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Well, that's... That's I, I when Lucy asked that question when we were talking earlier on, I had no answers. 
but I believe the scriptures are really, really clear. There is no excuse, uh, really, um, for our sin. There is really no excuse for our sin. But thank you so much, uh, Chris. At this point, I'd like you to, uninterrupted, uh, go ahead and share with us what you have prepared uh, for us uh, this evening. And then I'm going to ask the listeners to please kindly post your questions. Uh, in the chat, even as uh, Lucy, I mean, as uh, Chris is uh, is sharing, and uh, Ochuks, you're right. Uh, when I think about uh, what's going on right now around the world in, in in relation to adultery, they are yes, slowly accepting it, and I think they start by changing name to an affair, and uh, so the mm. biblical sin is adultery, but now it has been named an affair or something like that, uh, where you're feeling less guilty and. Uh, we need to watch out. We really cannot uh, be conformed to the standards of this world, but our minds must be renewed. And uh, that's what we're doing this evening. And I pray that our minds will be renewed as we look at the scriptures uh, together. Chris, you're welcome. Well, thank you. And yes, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, I was going to mention that before. I do believe that the world is, is a bit repulsed by the idea of a husband that cheats on his wife or a wife that has an adulterous relationship. But unfortunately, it has been reduced in some ways to this glamorous um, idea as well of being in a quote-unquote affair, uh, you know, or someone saying, you know, it's just my heart. My heart wants what my heart wants. And if my heart is telling me that I need to go be with this person or this, then I just need to do that. Well, can I remind us all that in Jeremiah chapter 17, I believe it's verse 9, we're told that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things who can know it. We cannot trust our heart. And so just because your heart is telling you, just because your heart is leading you towards another person, you cannot trust your heart. Just remember that. You cannot trust your heart. So tonight I just want to, you know, wrap up our time together. And I think we're going to have some Q&A afterwards. I appreciate that. But just briefly share with you about three kinds of purity. And I believe that these three kinds of purity are, are important for us to understand in the context of adultery. If the, the first one is in that of sexual purity, of sexual purity. And when we talk that, we've already been talking about that, that sexual purity is the most obvious of them all. We've already mentioned about the adulterer, the adulteress that's crying out on the corner, as we see in Proverbs chapter two, and the adulterer, the, the young man who is, who is drawn into, uh, tempted and drawn into a physical relationship uh, with the adulteress. Um, and... That's not to blame the woman. That's just to say whether it's a man or a woman, the moment that I step outside of the marriage relationship that I am in, I am an adulterer. I am an adulteress. And we often equate that with a sexual, uh, a sexual connotation, and it most often is. Can I, can I encourage us all tonight that, it's, that sexual is not just physical? Um, how many, how many men, how many of us have been unfaithful to our wives with the use of pornography, for example? That is a blatant violation of sexual purity, of sexual purity. Uh, 
Anytime that I am receiving satisfaction, physical satisfaction from a woman that is not my wife, if I'm married, I'm acting with an adulterous heart. I mean, even Jesus Christ, he said that in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? Jesus Christ, he said, um, if any man just looks on a woman that is not his wife, looks on her with lust, he's an adulterer. He's committed adultery in his heart. So let's just be really honest and clear about that. Sexual purity is, yes, it is a physical act. And a physical act is so powerful. Why is that? Because that physical act is one that is bringing one flesh together the way that God originally intended it. And the moment that you share that physical intimacy with a woman that's not your wife, you have lost something. You have created a monster that was never meant to be there because it was only meant to be one flesh, one man, one woman. But when I do that with my heart and my mind through the use of pornography, I am being unfaithful to my wife or as a wife and, and pornography is not just a problem for men. It's also a problem for women today. The wife, the same thing toward my husband. So sexual purity, but there's also another that's called I call it emotional purity, emotional purity. And this is a big one. This is one that we don't talk about enough. Um, I, as a man, and I'm speaking as a man, and my, my, unfortunately my wife is not able to be with us today, but you're going to hear from her briefly um, in a moment. Uh, she sent a small recording for us with some thoughts. Uh, she actually, uh, as we're talking about this subject, my wife is uh, – serving uh, as well uh, part-time with another ministry uh, here near where we live, which is uh, with teenage girls who have come out of uh, sexual trafficking. Um, and it's, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, 13-year-old to 17-year-old girls who have been used and abused by men, um, probably many of them in adulterous relationships and finding satisfaction with a 13 to 17 year old is absolutely revolting, disgusting, heartbreaking. And my wife works with these girls now. Um, but emotional purity is one, I have my wife and there is only one woman on the face of the planet that I should have the kind of emotional relationship that I have with another woman and that is only with my wife. But yet some men and some women will find themselves emotionally attached to someone who's not their spouse. And maybe it's at the office. Maybe it's an assistant. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody at your school um, or somewhere where you work. Maybe it's someone at church. And maybe, maybe it's not the physical aspect that you're desiring to see filled, but it's the emotional aspect. Maybe you're not feeling that you're receiving the emotional support at home that you deserve. And, and maybe, maybe your husband or your wife is a wreck right now, an emotional wreck, and they can't, they can't meet your emotional needs. And so what do you do? You find that in somebody else. I have a good friend. I have a good friend who's a pastor. And God has restored his life and his ministry, but I saw him walk through a very, very dark season. Why is that? Because he became emotionally attached 
to a woman that was not his wife. They never had a physical relationship, but it almost destroyed his marriage. It almost destroyed his ministry. Um, where does some of this come out? Well, some of these things, guys, uh, I really find it's difficult as a man to have close. It is, it is highly, I would say this, highly discouraged for a man to think he could ever have a close, intimate friendship with another woman that's not his wife. And I would ask you, look at your text messages, the text messages on your phone. How do you communicate with other women that aren't your wife? Uh, ladies, how do you communicate with other men that aren't your husband? Or, or maybe, let's say this, maybe you're single but you're communicating with a married man or a married woman and you're, you've got an emotional connection. There's a, a deep growing friendship and that is a very, very dangerous place to be, a very dangerous place to be. Um, the long, the intimate texts, the emotional conversations, the cons the consoling, the, the, I mean, how many, how, because all of these things as well can lead then to the physical part. Um, the proximity, maybe you've never touched a woman or a man that's not your husband or wife, but you know in your heart that you've, you've wanted to, or that you've, when you're near that person, you just, you might like to brush up against them, or you might like to just kind of hover close to them to be in proximity to them. That, all of that is an emotional attachment, and that is emotional impurity, emotional impurity. Finally, the, the last one, before I just jump into one last text, biblical text, is something I would call reputational purity. Uh, so you have sexual purity, which we've already spoken about, emotional purity, reputational purity. What is that? That's what other people can see. And... I think for every believer, this needs to be a priority as well, because we need to remember you might be um, justified in your heart, but you might be downright stupid in the way that you're showing it in front of other people, if I could just put it that way. Um, I have a very strict third party rule in my life. And what does that mean? You will never find me. You will never find me in a vehicle, in a house, in a room, alone with a woman that's not my wife. And, and some of you might think, that's crazy. That's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Um, now, I know someone can say, but Chris, what about the, what if you're driving and there's a 90-year-old woman on the side of the road and her car's broken down and it's raining and she needs a lift. Okay, I, I get it. You come up with a hypothetical and, and yes, I'm going to take care of this woman and we're going to, but I will do everything in my power to make sure that I am what the Bible calls above reproach. It's really interesting in the scriptures and in, in the book of first Timothy is the only place that we see this word in the Greek, this word that's translated reproach and being above reproach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we're told that leaders are to be above reproach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, we're told that deacons are supposed to be beyond reproach. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks about widows being beyond reproach. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about the man of God 
the being beyond reproach or above reproach. What is that idea? The idea is simply that, does it mean that you're sinless? No, because none of us are sinless. None of us are sinless. But being above reproach, reputational purity is the idea. I've heard someone describe it in this way. Well, it literally means that there's nothing that can be grabbed a hold of in your life. That no one can accuse you of anything in your life. That you can't grab a hold of anything. And I've heard someone, it's kind of like a, a mug, like a coffee mug. And the handle on that mug, it's like a, you need to be a cup without a mug. That some, excuse me, a mug without a handle that no one could grab. There's no handle on your life that somebody could say, oh, look, look at Chris. I wonder what he's doing. Look, he's in that car with a woman that's not his wife. Ooh, I saw Chris walk into a house of a woman, and I know that there's nobody else there. And maybe nothing happened. Maybe nothing's gone on. But reputational purity demands, if I'm going to be above reproach, that there's no place for an accusation in my life. And so I would just ask you today, as you listen, men, women, is there any place in your life that someone could accuse you? Um, I say, I, I always say that Extreme temptations demand extreme measures. Extreme temptations demand extreme measures. For that, my wife and I, before we were married, we, we didn't even trust each other. You know, we didn't trust ourselves. Excuse me. I didn't trust myself if, you, if I was going to be alone with, with her before we were married. So we just made sure we, we weren't alone together in a house, in a room, in a car before we were married. But even more so after you're married. Even more so. So sexual purity, emotional purity, reputational purity. But what's the answer? And, and, and this is what I'll close with. What's the answer? Well, we started with the answer, and I'm going to end with the same answer today. Um, if you look in Proverbs, excuse me, in Colossians chapter 2, if you look in Colossians chapter 2, um, the Colossian church struggled with something called asceticism, which is where they would... They thought that sin was in their flesh, but in their body, in the in the flesh, their own flesh and bones was where sin resided, not in not in our spirit or our soul. And so what they would do is they thought if they could treat their body really harshly, they could get rid of sin. In in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 20, listen to what it says. It says, the Apostle Paul, he says this, if you have died with Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. So here we're talking about um, restrictions that we've placed on our life. And we just talked about a bunch of restrictions. I talked about text restrictions and relational restrictions and not being in the same car with somebody and all those different things. Listen to what it says in verse 23 of Colossians chapter two. It says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But listen to what it says here. But these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. No value. I mean, that's crazy to think that for a second. Does, does it mean that we don't need to have guardrails and barriers in our life? No, that's not what he's saying. But if that's where you start, if you start with all the just trying to control your life through 
internet filters. Well, I don't want to look at porn, and so I'm going to put a filter on my computer or a filter on my phone. Or um, I don't want to fall into adultery, and so I'm not going to find myself in a room with a woman who's not my wife alone at night or whatever without a window. No, all of those things are good. Those are good things. But if that's where you start, those are of no value against the flesh. No value, it says in verse 23 of Colossians 2. But then the very next verse, and remember the chapter title, chapter divisions are not inspired by God. The very next verse says this. So what is a value? If those are of no value against the flesh, what is a value? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up, because it says therefore, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Here it is. Seek the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on Christ. That is the answer to adultery. That is where it all begins. Because if I am seeking after Christ, then I will be able to combat the fleshly indulgences. But if I'm not, listen, there is little to no hope. Because it starts with setting my mind on Jesus. It starts with setting my mind on Jesus. And and so that's just what I want to encourage you with tonight, my friends. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know where you are in your relationship with your husband or your wife. But the world, the, the world, the devil, and your own flesh are out to get you. And they want to blow it up. They want to blow up your life. They want to blow up your marriage. They want to blow up your ministry. They want to blow up your job. They want to lead you to death. But the first thing you and I have to do is we have to know God. We have to seek Christ. The number one um, guardrail, the number one fence, the number one barrier, the number one obstacle that you can put between you and adultery is seeking after Christ. So if you're not seeking after Christ actively, if you're not connected to the vine, as we already talked about earlier, if you're, then, then you are fighting a battle on your own that you were never meant to fight. Seek after Christ. And so um, the question then becomes, you know, so what happens when, what happens when you fall? What happens when... Well, is there hope? Yes, there is. There's always hope. I love Lamentations, I believe, chapter 22, when we're reminded that God's faithful, Lamentations chapter 2, that God's faithfulness is, and his mercies are new every morning, new every morning. It's only by God's mercies that we're not consumed, but his mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. All of us have fallen. All of us have sinned in some way. All of us have been unfaithful. There's none righteous. No, not one. 
but God's mercies are new every morning. But David, I don't know if you can maybe cue up the greeting from my wife. Um, but my wife uh, just wanted to say hello to all of you. So she sent a little recorded greeting while she's serving today with this other ministry. And she's mentioning what happens afterwards. Um, and I think it's important to hear what she has to say because um, it's not easy. It's not easy when uh, you've been betrayed by your husband or by your wife. So David, I'm not sure if you're ready with that already. Greetings to you all my friends. I would love to be uh, there with you today, but unfortunately that's not possible. I just wanted to um, share with you what a joy it is to um, live out and flesh out marriage in the way that God has designed for it to be. And in this world, in this fallen world that we live in, I know many of us will um, make wrong choices and maybe betray those sacred vows uh, that we have made to our spouses. And I'm sure as Chris will share with you all the ways to avoid that and to safe keep our marriage, um, when that happens, if that happens, uh, that we have betrayed uh, those marriage vows and we have betrayed our intimate partner in such a, a hurtful way. Uh, it's easy to think that, you know, once once we apologize, once we say we're sorry, then our partner should have to move on and forgive us and and pass over that offense and act normal again. And I just want to encourage you the, um, with a thought. Uh, in Matthew 3, 8, um, Christ is talking and he's saying, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And this, in this context, you know, our in making restitution. It's a very Old Testament concept of making restitution, uh, producing fruit worthy of repentance. I would encourage you that the beginning is the apology. The beginning is uh, feeling sorry and deeply saddened by it. But the actions and the work of restoring that trust and that faith your partner once had in you will lie solely on the one who has betrayed the partner and that his sole responsibility before the Lord is to make those deposits of his character, of his love, of faith that he will have to restore in his partner a spirit of love and unity once again. And so I just want to encourage you with that thought that um, if that happens, that marriage vows are betrayed and marriage vows are broken, uh, whoever the, the one breaking the vow must do a deep work of producing fruit worthy of repentance. And it's easy to think, well, I've already said I'm sorry. I've already asked for forgiveness. She should give me the forgiveness and we should be able to move on. Um, and God clearly in his word, if you study Old Testament con concepts about making amends and about producing fruits worthy of repentance, uh, it's so important that you take that upon yourself as your goal to daily, constantly give no reason to doubt your resolve to gain your partner's confidence and trust back. 
So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, wish again, I could be there praying for this time that you have and that God would deeply use his word to restore, to renew, and to encourage you in your daily walk with him and in your marriage. God bless. Greetings to you. So that was my amazing wife, my beautiful wife, and um, I think she has a lot of wisdom. So, David, I'll leave it with you and maybe for some questions. Well, I had a question that was pumped up already for you, but I think towards the end there, you you did answer it uh, very, very clearly. And uh, I just don't want to think or to sound like I wasn't listening and that I was just waiting for questions and uh, because that usually happens uh, when we get answers from God's word, we, we kind of try to numb our hearts and we begin to ask, but what if, but what if, especially when it came to the example you gave of the standards that you put in your life when it comes to not being alone or driving alone with a woman that's not your wife. And someone quickly say, oh, but what if you find an old woman? What if, what if? And uh, I pray that this evening none of us will present what ifs in front of us, uh, especially when it comes to dealing with what's going on in our hearts. I think that's the very first step of uh, compromise. But Chris, once again, thank you. Thank you uh, so much. I, I think there's so much that we, we've learned uh, from you. But I, this is a very huge topic. So many questions uh, um, that may come up as we as we talk about this. There's so much pain that is involved um, in with this particular scene. Like I mentioned at the beginning, it does not only affect the husband or the wife; it affects the children, it affects families, even extended <clears throat> families. But when we come to Matthew 19, um, verse nine, uh, it's a famous divorce. Uh, verse where Christ say, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Two words that uh, kind of are going hand in hand, and that is divorce and adultery. My first question was going to be, how can we um, prevent um, adultery from winning? Uh, because it's a sin that happens in marriage, but how can we prevent it from winning? winning in the sense that it leads to divorce. Um, and maybe you can maybe mm. comment on this particular verse as well and say, uh, wh what is Christ implying? Is he implying that, hey, whilst there is adultery, you divorce instantly? <laughs> or instantaneously? Oh, sure. yeah. Um, but how can we, how can we, um, and that is in, in relation to helping a couple maybe that is listening in tonight. And uh, maybe the party that has been hurt the most in this particular scene is considering divorce. And uh, they are thinking, mm. okay, I'm gone. I'm leaving right now. And I think uh, uh, David tried to really give us some answers there in saying cultivate a fruit of repentance, uh, especially for the man. Saying I'm sorry is not enough, but how can we find restoration? But do you have any extra advice for a couple listening in tonight? Mm. What should they do tomorrow morning? What should yeah. they do tomorrow morning? Well, first of all, yep. yeah. Well, first of all, remember that yeah, Jesus was not giving just an out of oh adultery. Okay, you can go ahead and divorce because remember that God hates divorce. I mean that is very clear in Scripture. It said that God hates divorce, and so and and Jesus as well. I mean, look at the way that he dealt with the adulterous woman and others in the New Testament. 
he was forgiving. He, he was, and even God with Israel, when he refers to them as an adulterous nation, God is always looking to take them back. And he does take them back over and over and over again. So that is the model. That is the pattern that we must be following. And um, now, is it a hard, is it an easy road? No, it's not an easy road. Does it take time to rebuild trust? It absolutely does. And that's what Debbie was talking about a little bit. Uh, but is it worth fighting for? It absolutely is. It absolutely is worth fighting for. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if you've if you've gone through this and you're going through this and you're tempted to say, well, let me just hang up and start over with somebody else. Oh, please, uh, you know, reconsider because um, I also know of many, many restored relationships uh, very close to me, very personally. I know of several um, that God has turned into a beautiful story of forgiveness and redemption. And that is what God wants to do. That is his story. God's story is always a story of redemption. And so may that redemption be seen in your own life and in your own marriage. Um, and it will be a beautiful picture of that to others. So. Amen. Amen. Uh, you just reminded us of uh, what God has been doing in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel as well. Uh, trying mm -hmm. to have that restoration. That's a very beautiful picture. Uh, a reminder that we we are sinful and we should emulate his mercy and forgiveness and grace. But Lucy, do you have any questions for Chris uh, tonight? What are your thoughts about what he's been talking about, Lucy? Yeah, well, um, I will represent the single woman listening right now and just ask, mm. so um, how, how, sh how should I know where to draw the line when I'm comfortable in fellowship with a married man, especially as in, well, maybe my pastor or youth leader, how comfortable can I be in what I share with him? Because I'm not in a covenant relationship with anyone, so I'm not betraying anyone yeah. if I get emotionally attached in any way, or am I? Sure, that's a, that's a great question, Lucy. Um, you are responsible as well in how you conduct yourself towards a married man just like a single man would be responsible for how he conducts himself towards a married woman. You might not be in a covenant, a single person might not be in a covenant relationship, but that does not give them freedom to, um, to be the, <laughs> to infringe upon the covenant relationship of another. Okay. Because that one that you're dealing with is in a relationship, isn't a covenant relationship. And as a result, as the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. Um, you are a brother and sister, and, and it is your role to not be a stumbling block to your brother or a stumbling block to your sister, but rather a blessing to them. And so I would say one of the things we cannot be looking, okay, where is the line and how close can I get to the line before I cross it? You've heard that before, right? No, it needs to be thinking, I got to stay way far away from that line. And that's why I always recommend, I, I very seldom recommend a man counseling a woman. I believe that the women should be counseling women and discipling women and men should be counseling men. Um, and I believe that's, a, that's just a principle that we need to follow. And so for you, when you say, how do I know? 
Well, I would say the moment in your heart, first of all, the moment in your heart that you can sense that there's something more there than just a very um, basic respect and friendship, then you need to back, you need to run away. You need to run away and you can be rude. You can be, I mean, I mean, not rude, but you can be, um, <laughs> it can just cut it off. Uh, but you've got to, you've got to, you've got to flee, you know, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that anything was in his heart, but the moment you sense something in your heart, then you have got to run away because you could very easily become a stumbling block for that person. And, and um, maybe remembering that this other person doesn't have the same understanding of this topic that you do, and they don't even realize the dangers. Well, if you do, then you've got the responsibility to be the one that, that draws the line, if I could say it that way. Yeah, okay. That's, that's very clear and helpful. Um, my other question was, is I think Mimi Girl has, has worded it really well. It's still, it was in line with divorce. What, what if? Well, I don't know if Mimi Girl is is talking about divorce, but that's the question. What if there's no sign of repentance on the part of the person that has committed adultery? How does a part spouse move on from there? Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. And before before you can answer that, just to uh, throw maybe some more light on Mimi Girl's question. Um, it's it's mm. not really unheard of um, for someone to be unrepentant about their actions. It, it, it can be as blunt and as, what are you going to do about it? He's not hiding it anymore, mm -hmm. or they're not hiding it anymore. It is now becoming a tool that they're using to almost either revenge or hurt the other individual. And, and we've heard of cases where people have two different bedrooms uh, but they are pretending to be living together maybe for the show. Uh, but it can yeah. be as painful as that to the point that, I mean, I don't know if we can maybe have a session with you and your wife, because uh, some of the questions that are coming in right now seem to be uh, tackling uh, individuals who are going through pain. And I know there isn't much we can do when it comes to counseling uh, over a program like this. But I think having extended yeah. conversation somehow helps. But it is true that there can be a scenario where someone is hurt by repeatedly uh, seeing their partner just going back and back and unrepentantly in this action. How would you advise a couple like that? Oh, oh that's, that's so difficult. And, and I'm so sorry if anyone out there is, is going through this. Um, you know, I believe when it, when it comes to divorce, for example, um, and these are, these are sticky topics. These are difficult, but my wife talked about the fruit of repentance. And I think that that might be one of the reasons that Jesus was talking about adultery and divorce potentially. Um, you know, my advice, unless there's an abuse involved, um, or physical abuse of any kind, um, unless there's some sort of abuse involved, you know, I believe that there's, there is, it is biblical and honorable to be, um, to continue to be patient with the other spouse, the one that's, that has gone. And that's why the scripture talks about like a woman that, that by her, by her, 
her living, she might win her husband, you know, um, and be patient. Now, if the husband decides to divorce her, there's nothing she can really do about that. Um, but I would, um, there is a, there is an amount of patience, unfortunately, that is involved in, in, in something like this and, in, in finding your hope, finding your peace, finding your, um, comfort in the Lord. And then even if the husband or the wife divorces you and you're left alone, um, you know, there is a whole, there is a process of healing that has to happen. It is not something that happens overnight. Um, it is something that I would recommend counseling. I would recommend a strong biblical friendship and, and nurturing. Um, and it does take time uh, for for those hurts to heal. And that would be a whole other subject. You're right, David. Uh, and my wife would be a, a great one to tackle those things as well. Amen. Amen. I, I really appreciate uh, your time, Chris. Thank you. And thank you so much uh, for just cutting out time out of your schedule to be with us um, this evening. Uh, I'm going to look at uh, what our schedule looks like, and I'm sure we'll have Chris and Debbie back uh, to just help us with some of the issues that are going on. I know at the back of my mind, I still remember what Lucy asked, uh, especially for ladies who might be trying to answer questions when it comes to abortion and how sometimes that can be very difficult to deal with. And I know that Debbie could be able to just help us through some of those issues. And uh, let's see how our schedule looks like and how we can be able to handle some of those very difficult uh, scenarios uh, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our relationships with people and our Christian life. But one of the mm-hmm. overriding uh, uh uh, statements or theme that I've had tonight is our cultivation of our relationship with God. And then even the difficult question we are trying to answer at the end here in talking about divorce and immorality, he begins out off in verse 8. He says, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. He's dealing with a state of, uh, of a heart that is trying to tear itself away from God. You're tearing yourself away from forgiveness and emotions are coming in and anger and it's just sin. And just for us to remember, for us to remember our relationship with God and cultivate that in our marriages. But but Chris, thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, once again uh, for joining us uh, this evening. I don't know if Lucy has any final uh, statements in closing as uh, we pray together. I'll pray. But Lucy, do you have anything you'd like to add as we pray together? Uh, no, not really. Um, I'm just thankful for um, just being enlightened and reminded of what the scriptures say about these different things. And yeah, to just also to remember that none of us is uh, beyond temptation. <laughs> it's, it's Amen. That's true. Anyone. Yeah. So that, that's a, a wake up call for me. Uh, take home also is that, that statement, I don't know if it's it's your statement, Mr. Stout, that extreme temptations demand extreme measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that I will I will t- I'll take that to the bank. <laughs> well, that's what I've tried to I remember I tried to live my life by by that by that statement and I would just wrap up by giving you one last verse in first Peter chapter five. 
uh, verse 6, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So there's that relationship with God. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Verse 7. Verse 8, though, it says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And uh, the devil is out there. And any, just like you said, Lucy, none of us are beyond. All of us are tempted. And we are all one decision away from destroying um, so much in our lives and the lives around us. So we must be sober. We must be vigilant. And we must be casting our cares upon him. And so I just leave that with you tonight. And God bless you all. Amen. Let's pray together, ladies and gentlemen. Father, we thank you uh, for um, such a beautiful moment you've had in being encouraged from your word uh, to live right, uh, to think right, uh, to reflect you the right way with our actions when it comes to our um, reputational purity and not just uh, physical or emotional purity, but to think about how we are reflecting you in the eyes of those who are watching. And may we be found uh, to be pure in all these three facets of our lives. May you every day remind us, even now as our flesh uh, tries to push us in a different direction, may we be constantly reminded of your word, um, that this is important to you, that this is not um, something we can take lightly, even sometimes when the world tries to take it lightly. May we be reminded that this is important to you and not, not to play around uh, with emotions that are taking place in our hearts, not to play around with uh, the commitments and the covenants that we made before men uh, for those who are married. For us who are single, also I pray that uh, we'll practice these principles in our lives and not that they'll be empty of themselves uh, because uh, Christ is the substance, your son is the substance, and we pray that we will know him first that our actions will be will be uh, just uh, um, energized uh, by our relationship uh, with you. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, we will know you first, that we will thirst for you, like the psalmist says, as a deer pants for streams of water, so our souls uh, thirst for you, that that will be the essence of our actions, not legalism, not anything else, but may our lives reflect that which we have uh, in you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, and we pray as we go to bed tonight, cause us to think about these things and uh, help us to find solutions tomorrow as we take biblical steps uh, to find reconciliation, to find uh, restoration, not just with those we've had, but with you uh, as well. And uh, pray that our time as we go to rest tonight will be fruitful. May your Holy Spirit continue to work in our hearts, causing us to change. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Lucy, uh, for uh, our time this evening. I think it's been very, very fruitful. Those of you who are visiting for the first time, this program takes place every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 p.m. The same link that led you here will always lead you here uh, to our live room. This is uh, Cabin Devils together with the camp in the cloud and uh, hosted on 10 minutes in the field. I think it's awesome uh, to be able to pray together just before we go to bed. And this was derived from Cabin Devotions as a camp program and with something we'd like to have every day, at least for as long as we can, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. Invite a friend and hope to see you next week. Have a good night, guys, and may God bless you. <music>